Now you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love for one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not perishable of seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring the word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Thank you very much. I don't think I could, I could read the word imperishable when I was your age. I'm really not sure I could. That's very impressive. Today is Fellowship Sunday, we've called it. It's a day when we're going to get to know each other better, whether you like it or not. <laughs> but I think you will. Uh, and by the way, I want to acknowledge our online attendees. I realize I don't do this very often, but we do have a number of people who join us every week online, and you're welcome. And we're going to have quite a bit of interaction in the service today. So I'm at some point going to come and talk to the online people, if I can, between Desmond and Leon, figure that out. While the rest of us are chatting later, I'll get to that. Uh, we'll hopefully manage some stuff for the online uh, people who couldn't be with us today. And, and thank you for joining us. Um, so I, yes, online, if you have questions uh, to the questions, I answers to the questions I pose or something like that, and stick them online. And Desmond, who knows the answers to everything, will answer them. Thank you, Desmond. Okay. So uh, I've entitled, oh yes, I'll have that please. Thank you very much, Sophie. I have entitled today's uh, lesson or time together, you might say, as love one another deeply. That's what that passage talks about that was read for us so well. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, now love each other deeply deeply from the heart so let me ask you this what's the difference between sincere love and deep love obviously sincere love can be deep but if you don't he's he's got two categories here paul so you've got you love each other sincerely now i'm urging you to love each other deeply what would you think paul is talking about here where, where is he wanting these oh peter rather sorry where, where is peter wanting them to go from and to what's the difference Sincere, deep. How would you tell? What do you think? How would you know? How would you know whether you're experiencing it? How would you know whether you're giving it? What would you say? Okay, deeply is beyond the difficult parts of a person, beyond the difficult parts of a relationship, maybe. Okay, beyond that. Oh, I rather like that. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Other thoughts? Oh, God, you've got to think of it on a Sunday morning. Yeah. So, I, I would say I would love my friends and family sincerely, but my child, I would love deeply. And I think child love, okay, I'm not the mother, but I, would, I think it's a different love between somebody who I choose to love and somebody I love to the fact that Part of me. Mm -hmm. so, maybe that's, the oh, that's 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 a deep thought, <laughs> actually. Well done, Simone. Thank you. Is that coffee in that mug there? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now we know your secret. Okay. That's a lovely. That's a great point. Okay. I like that. Yeah. On, any other idea? What else? Yeah. Later on in life, 
would you be willing to go to that extent of love, to lay down your life for somebody? Okay, that's certainly deep, isn't it? It's another level. Okay, what else? Hi. So purity of motives. Yeah. Thanks. Thank um, I think that well, sincere love is, is very genuine, but I feel like loving somebody deeply is it's quite messy sometimes. It's it's full of complete self sacrifice and um, like like you said, you know, loving even when that person might be unlovable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, messy. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point. Uh, somebody said to me, uh, or no, I read it, I think, or heard it in a talk, maybe it was in a book, um, talking about church life, that um, church life is always messy. And I think they're referring to the same point, that you can, other, other parts of life, you can sort of control things, and it is necessarily messy. But in, in church congregational life, often things are messy because we offend each other, and we have to get over these bumps and the things that you talked about, Amy. So... Yeah, deep love is going to be messy, isn't it? Okay, a couple more hands. Tunde, then at the back, and then Danny. Um, the one thing is, I, I was in a marriage and practically married. You know, sincerely, you know, everything you want to do, you know, you sincerely believe that you would also. I would hope so, yes. You would also. But, for you to get the message back to them, you do actually need to invest in that person. Because without you to invest in the assumption, like Ed was saying, you cannot really get to see that person on the surface. Right. Which is not possible where sincerity is Because you, you know, you love that person, you know, they tell you stuff that they don't want. You just want to ask them. There's a willingness. We can love people sincerely without necessarily investing a great deal of time and effort. Whereas deep love requires that investment. It's a really good point. Victor. I talk about Peter in the Bible. And I thought that Peter had just a very sincere love up to a point of hallucination. And then the three, when, when, when the chicken, um, the cockroach actually died, I think that's what he has to be loved. And then at that point, he knew that his love was sincere or not. But once Christ has died, it's now the wrong of the church. And 
research and went into the church. This was extremely deep of mentally. So I think the thing that might be like I see too, I see it's see a lot of people and the people are part. That's a great point. And I do think I think that's a really good point. I think that transition of Peter's between that sort of sincere love that didn't survive the test of the cross, but then turned into the deep love which enabled him to then ultimately lay down his life for Christ. And what happened at the cross, and then what happened as Jesus reconciled with him on the shores of Lake Galilee in later in the latter parts of John, John's gospel, that is a really instructive thing to look at and think about what really changed in Peter there, because something very deep and powerful changed in him. It's a really good point. Yeah, Dan. I was going to say that sincere love can can be quite fleeting in the sense that you give to Paul, you can have a connection, but if it doesn't have a good sincere heart, it's not necessarily a long-term, time-invested thing. I think deep love can only be achieved once it's gone through trials and tested. Obviously, you know, living a life is easy because living a life is so easy. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about my wife. I'm not sure what she said about living with you, but okay. I, He's no. expressing sincere. I've demonstrated it. Living a life is easy. It's like Tom Daly, so it dies into the emotion. It's like easy. You know? Okay. So loving me is a bit more difficult for my wife. Right, right. So if we want to learn about deep love, we should talk to your wife. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and at this point, we're all going to stop digging. So, um, <laughs> I think this, I think it may be not always easy to define the difference between sincere love and deep love, but I think we know the experience of the difference. When you are loved deeply, you know that experience. And it does take investment, it does take time, it does take sacrifice, it does take, it does take um, uh, exploring forgiveness and patience and long-suffering, and it, it takes a lot out of us. Loving sincerely doesn't take much out of us. Something, but not a lot. Deep love challenges in the core of who we really are as to whether we're really connected with Christ and have his power and strength to help us to love in a way that he demonstrated and that we're called to imitate. And that frankly is so difficult. It's not easy to love in that way. As Jesus said in John 13, this is his new command. Love one another. What kind of love? As I have loved you. That's how you must love one another. And it's by this, by the quality of love, by that depth, by that depth, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, if you love one another in this way, if that lover is love is truly deep. And so it's not a technique. It's something that comes from the heart of Jesus. And we're focusing on fellowship today, not because it's a good thing to do, not because we'll all feel better about each other or we'll feel good about ourselves. Or We do it. We're talking about this today because it's something that's deep in the heart of God and that demonstrates that we're God's people by having this kind of, this kind of heart. So I have an exercise for us to do in a minute. But first of all, a little bit of background, because I think it's rather interesting now, when we think about the word fellowship, which is an odd word generally, not used outside religious circles that much, it goes back to the Old Testament. As you may know, in the Old Testament, there were several kinds of sacrifices. And one of them was the thanksgiving or fellowship offering. In Exodus 20, God told the Israelites to make an altar and sacrifice on it their burnt offerings and their fellowship offerings. And the word fellowship there is a very similar word to the word shalom. 
in Hebrew, that sort of love and peace, well-being sense that God wants to give his people. It's that kind of offering. It's a well-being offering, God and his people being well together. We're in good fellowship with one another. We're in a good place in our relationship, God and Israel. And of course, if you know Israel's history, that was a bit patchy, shall we say, but there were times like that. And as people who follow, who are of God, we have times like that. And God wants us to have that sense of shalom with him, of being in fellowship with him. And so when you brought a fellowship or Thanksgiving offering, you did it because God had done something wonderful and you wanted to express your gratitude to him. And so you brought to the altar, well, I've put a table there to represent the altar, and the altar is a table. And that's another reason why we take communion, because we remember the table that Jesus was at, but that we'll come back to that later on. So you've got your, if you like, your fellowship table. You come to the altar. And who benefits from this, from this offering? You bring some meat to uh, give to the priests, and some of it is burned, and it's cooked effectively. And I have represented, the triangle there represents God, all right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's representing God, because I don't really have a picture of God, uh, and so I guess. So anyway, that'll represent God. And then on the, uh, on the other side, you've got a, a priest. The priest in those days would look maybe a little bit like that. And then you've got, say, a family. They're bringing a Thanksgiving offering. They've had a child. Uh, they've been blessed in some way. They come to the tabernacle. They come to the temple. They say, we want to celebrate with you, God, your blessings to us. We are so grateful. And so you, the food is cooked. The sacrifice is cooked. Some of it God gets. That's his portion. That's burned up for him. And he eats in a sense, that, that's for him. And then the priest or priests, they get some of it, and they get their Sunday lunch uh, right there and then from that sacrifice. And then some of it is eaten by the people making the sacrifice. And so it's a meal, fellowship meal together. God, the priests, and the people bringing the sacrifice are fellowshipping together under God, with God, celebrating and expressing their gratitude. And that is a fellowship offering. And I think this has metaphorically, perhaps in some way, connections with what we do when we fellowship. When we fellowship, we make a sacrifice. We bring our time to other people. We bring our energy to other people. Perhaps it costs you money to spend time with someone. You're having a coffee, a beer, a meal, you're doing something. You are bringing something of yourself together to another person to share it. You're doing it for God, not for yourself or even for the other person first and foremost. You're doing it because you're grateful for what God has given you. That's what motivates it. It's for God, but it does benefit the people around you. And it does benefit you, frankly, because the more deep relationships we have, the better in so many ways. This strengthens our devotion to God, and it strengthens our devotion to one another. I think this lies behind what we see in New Testament fellowship in Acts 2. After the 3,000 are baptized that day, then they devote themselves to what? To the apostles in the act of teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that's the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And they're filled with awe. Many miracles are being done. They're all together. They have everything in common. That's a deep fellowship selling property, possessions, giving to anyone who had needs, sacrifice and, uh, and, and, uh, and blessings to other people. They, they meet together every day. They're breaking bread in their homes, eating together, sharing together, uh, breaking bread, eating together with glad and sincere hearts, 
praising God. It's about God. They're grateful to him. That's why they're doing it. Enjoying the favor of all the people. It's noticed by others. The Lord adds to their number daily those who are being saved. It has an impact. Now, this is fellowship. It's beyond acquaintance. It's beyond an average level of friendship. And I think this is both at one and the same time, very, very inspiring and rather scary. Because I rather, in my nature, would rather protect my privacy, my limits of who I would like in my life and when. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have any boundaries, not what I'm saying, but when you look at this, you think, hmm, I don't think their boundaries are as far away. You know, it's just sort of, you can have some boundaries a long way away, holding a lot of people away. You can have some closer to you. Their boundaries don't seem far away. And they seem to be a little bit leaky. There seem to be gaps in the fence. And so I think it's inspiring, and I think it is somewhat scary on one level. What we see here is gratitude. There's no coercion. It's self-motivated fellowship. No one's making them do it. And when you read the New Testament letters, you'll notice that most of them are really about relationships. And they're about relationships and they're about God. If you took all the teaching about God and all the teaching about relationships out of the letters of Paul and Peter and John, you wouldn't have much left. You'd have a few doctrinal points here and there. You'd have a little bit of history. But you wouldn't have much else. This is so important. Our gratitude for what God has done is at least partly, majorly, expressed in the way that we fellowship one another. It is, in a sense, a test of our gratitude, an expression of our gratitude. So, with that in mind, I have a few things to share at the end before we take bread and wine, but with that in mind, I have an exercise for us to do, which is this. We're going to spend the next about 15 minutes talking to each other and to a few of each other, as in uh, have a conversation with one person for five minutes. I will give a call and then go and talk to somebody else for five minutes and then somebody else for five minutes until we run out of time, all right? And you have to start with someone you don't know. So none of this talking to your best friend, all right? At least not to start with. So the first person has to be someone you don't know. I mean, you may have said hello, but you don't really know, okay? After that, you can pick who you like. I don't, I don't mind. But first person is someone you don't know and keep the conversations relatively short. I mean, I will say, you know, time to switch around a bit like, Speed dating fellowship or something <laughs> like that. And it's not that these conversations are going to help us to be deep today, but maybe there'll be a catalyst for the next time we talk. Oh, now I know you a little bit. I can get to know you a bit better. You, you with me? It's the idea of starting somewhere. Now, for those of you who are uncomfortable with that, if you want to just come and talk to me, that's fine, or something, I don't mind. But otherwise, I'm going to go and talk to some of the online people, maybe. We'll see how that goes. Now, to help us, I have a sheet here with about um, maybe 20 questions. All right, no, no, you don't have to go through all of them. It's all right, Missy, don't worry. Now, if you don't, these are like suggested things you could talk about. So pick one and go for it. Don't read the whole lot and think for 10 minutes about what you're going to talk about. Just pick one, and the two of you talk about that for five minutes. They, they range from the deep to the really superficial. So the really superficial is, do you like sport? If so, why or why not? All right, that's, that's the superficial. Deeper would be... Um, uh, 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 let me think. Deeper might be, um, 
or the small vulnerable ones, like, do you have a nickname? And if so, why? Who gave it to you? That could be more vulnerable. I, you don't have to do that one if you like. But there's some deeper questions like, oh yeah, well, when did God become more than just a word in a, you know, in a book to you and what happened? If you want. So there's deeper ones and shallower ones. I got enough for everybody here. So I give half of these to each side, spread them around, grab somebody, talk to them for five minutes. I will uh, give you a word in five minutes to swap around, talk to somebody else, and we'll get around these as quick as we can. All right? Let's spread them around. All right. Let's get going. So you might have to get up and move around. You can't just sit there and be like, Evans, go, I'm gonna move. Go and speak to somebody. Go and say hello, talk. Five minutes, five minutes. What was that like? Good. Impressions. A couple of impressions or reflections or thoughts on what that was about and what it did for us. What, uh, what strikes you from what we just did? What did we learn from that or whatever? Yeah, Amy. I think it gave us permission to talk to anyone. Not that I don't feel like that in church, but even more so. I could go up to anyone. You can go up to anyone. It kind of gave you that excuse or that barrier breaker to go and just talk to anybody. Okay. Right. What else? Yeah. How little you really know about the people around you. We've scratched the surface quite a lot of the time. Yeah, good point. It reveals more. George? It's how different people are. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> it's just wonderful, you know, to extend difference to each other and yet to come together like this and, you know, to just, to just endure each other's kindness. Yeah. So we can enjoy the differences more when we know what the differences are, which we can't know unless we know each other better. Yeah. Thank you, George. The differences don't matter at all. They don't get in the way. No. They enrich, actually. Yes. But only if we know what they are. Yeah. Good point. I think it was quite nice, spurred on by a couple of your questions that you'd thought out, to actually ask questions very quickly on a much deeper level. Because it's very easy to have the how are you, how is your week, you know, sort of shallow level conversations with, with lots of different people. Yeah. But but to ask, you know, what, what are your past desires, where do you see yourself in five years' time, you know. Um, yeah, to, I suppose, like, like you said, about having the permission to, to go in deep straight away. <laughs> yeah, you could jump in at the deep end a bit yeah. quicker in an exercise like yeah, this. Yeah. yeah. Really Might be helpful for us to reflect whether we could do that more. Generally, in our conversations, yeah. maybe. Finde. Hi, the few people I've spoken to have kind of very superficial And the few people I've spoken to, I can almost see that their life perspective there is very similar to mine. Um, the simple question of how many how many houses do you have in your life? Some of them have their And it just reveals to you, you know, how does it work? So, you know, unless someone's really, you know, from this end of the thing, I have this, you know, such a 
because you know kind of problem setting thing. And and you look at it and say, well, people said this, but they're not just people. Right. Yeah. So that, that's what I that's what I take from there. You know, so I think from a part of the other person who deserves what he but you can be careful of that sort of question by it and being an excuse not to take It's a really good point. People look very different from us from the outside a lot of the time. But when you get talking you realise we have a lot in common. Somebody in the chat, I forget who it was, I'm sorry who said this, but someone said one of the ways they like to get deeper with people is to ask, is to find common areas, common ground. Because you may not think you have that, but then you discover it. So it's a really good point. Uh, maybe a couple of others, if anybody wants to share something. I think it's great that we probably just talk to friends. <laughs> 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 because that's what you naturally do. I talk a lot. I think people need this, but I probably need most of my friends. Go to some different people. Yeah. Yeah. We can do that any Sunday, by the way. Right? Yeah. We can. Well, let, let me wrap up and then we'll take some bread and wine together, which is what actually unifies us in the end. Right? The, the ultimate common ground is the common ground at the foot of the cross. And that's where we all connect. Um, but I'll just share a couple of thoughts before that. I read a book a little while ago called The Habits of Highly Effective Churches. And this quote uh, I, uh, resonated with me from a church minister who said, our church is not the group of people who show up Sunday morning to attend a weekly religious event. The real church is the people who are emotionally connected by their mutual and stated love for Christ and by their commitment to each other because of Christ. There's a lot packed into that two sentences. But what really makes the church? I think he's right that it's partly about that connection with, because of our love for Christ and our commitment to each other because of Christ. That's church, if you want to put it that way. In the same book, they did some, this has come from some research uh, the Barna Institute were doing. They discovered this. This is a United States statistic, not a UK, but so bear that in mind. But about one in five families moves every year in the US. So uh, one in five families moves every, not one family moves every year, one in five families moves per year, right? And they move roughly within 25 miles of their, where they were living. So they tend to move long distances. These are church-going people. Most people who move that short, relatively short distance transition to a new congregation, local to where they now live. But some commute back to the old church. And the ones who do that commute back to, to what these other churches which this survey regarded as very effective congregations, which I haven't got time to unpack now. That can be debated, but nonetheless, it was interesting Thing that they found. They interviewed those people and interviews with the people who came, who carried on fellowshipping at their old church, even though now they might be driving an extra half an hour to get to church back there and back. Those revealed that the primary draw for remaining in that church was not the preaching. Oh, well, never mind. It was not the preaching. 
It was not the children's program. It was not the doctrine of the church. The magnet is the relationships that they've cultivated with others in that church. And it made me think this. I think doctrine is really important. Don't misunderstand me. Really important. And we should fellowship somewhere where we are confident, we agree with the core doctrines. That's very important. But I wonder this. Let's say, for those of us who live not right here, whether it's, and I'm going to include anybody who doesn't live within walking distance, which is most of us, okay? So let's say whether it's Chesham or Aylesbury or High Wycombe or even North Watford, Lord forbid, the bandit country that is North Watford. But <laughs> And North Watford, whether it's Bushy, whether it's um, Mill End, you're in Rimmersworth, Ricky down the road, whether it's, where, but let's say if you're not walking distance from here, let's say there was a church right around the corner that taught the same doctrines that you believe in that we hold to here. Would you go there? And my question is not a value question like whether you should or shouldn't. My question is really whether you'd be torn. I think we should be torn. If there was a congregation in Croxley where I actually live that taught the same doctrines, I'd have to decide whether God wanted me there or not is a different question, but let's say God wanted me in that congregation. I would really hope that it would be a tough decision, a really hard decision, because I wouldn't want to leave the deep relationships I had here. I think that's how we're meant to feel, not the manufacture it, but I think that's, that's how it's right to feel. If we had to move on, oh, break our hearts, because this is home. Just family. This is where we don't have just sincere love for one another. We love each other deeply from the heart. And that's going to take, if we, you know, and, and we have relationships here at different levels, I would imagine. If you really want to have a Christ-like church, then we, all of us, need to invest. We've got to invest to create, over time, the depth that the world would recognize as being the love of Christ. Doesn't matter where you live. Doesn't matter about what your limitations are, but over time, if we invest in love, God will build something amazing. You'll, you'll appreciate it, we all will, but God will get glory from it in a way that's more important than the outward trappings of what we call church. It's really about that deeper commitment to one another because of Christ. Go back to our uh, theme scripture here. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, let's hope we have, so that we have sincere love, love one another deeply from the heart. Why? There's a, there's a pure motivation for this. But you've been born again. You were dead. You've been made alive, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Your body at some point will cease to function, but you've been given eternal life through the living and enduring word of God. Jesus died and rose again to create, or you could say to recreate, family. We are born again because of his death. And we are imperishable 
because his body, resurrected, is imperishable. And out of gratitude, we devote ourselves to him and to God. Let's pray together, and it is indeed Chantel who's going to come and pray for us at this time, before we take the bread of wine, reminding us what Jesus has done for us.